Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. Command codes verified. Welcome back to GGR Pirate Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of GGR Pirate Radio. This is actually part two of our 80s movie discussion. But before we get back into that, I've got panelists with me. Of course, my name is Mike Lunsford. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Great Geek Refuge, uh, but I'm also the host of GGR Pirate Radio. I've got GGR contributor and panelist and podcast expert extraordinaire. Uh, His name is James Rambo. He's joining us tonight. Hey, folks. We've also got the wonderfully talented and always insightful Miss Emily Witten. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and instead of introducing, like I did in the last episode, all of your cool accolades that you have, I want you to tell everybody a little bit about this awesome comic book creation that you had. Because we talked about it before in a prior episode uh, when we had you on. You talked about um, mm-hmm. kind of the genesis of it. But like it, it, it's just been so cool watching you start from this idea. And then it was like idea. Now it's on paper and then it goes from paper. Now it's in panels and now it's from panels and now it's like fully fleshed out and it's actually a comic book. And then it's like, (laughs) hey, now you can buy this comic book. And it's like, now you can hear Emily talk about this comic book that you can buy at comic book convention. (laughs) Uh, Like, kind of tell me, like, what has this ride been like for you with with the Underfoot? Yeah, well, um, so just to I know I know we don't have tons of time, but just to give some background for people who haven't encountered me before, um, I do a lot of stuff in the geek industry. So among other things, I've run conventions like the North American Discworld convention, and I've worked on like Awesome Con and stuff like that. And then I've moderated a bunch of panels for like media guests and comics creators and stuff like that. And I'm a journalist and I report on comics and genre uh, entertainment and sci-fi and fantasy. And of course, I'm a big fan of all those things. So I have spent a number of years in and around the industry as both a fan and a professional. And all of that time and even way before that I've been a writer so um, you know I would write I I grew up writing like poetry and fiction as well as like you know obviously nonfiction essays sometimes and stuff like that but I I was the editor-in-chief co-editor-in-chief of the literary magazine in high school I won a poetry contest at some point you know like I've always been a writer and I didn't write I never grew up like trying to write a comic or even like a visual thing, like a movie. It was always like prose and poetry, basically. Um, But occasionally song lyric type stuff because poetry. But um, when I was in law school and started reading comics, like I grew up with the, you know, the movies and the animated series stuff. And I had read a very, very few like Archie Digest that my sister had. But I never actually read comics until about law school when I discovered Deadpool. And then I started reading comics and then spent, as I said, a number of years in the industry, reading more comics, getting to know creators, etc. So, like a lot of people, a lot of times people ask, like, how did you get into writing comics? And for me, it was an unintentional learning process that came along with doing other things I really like to do. So then I met Ben Fisher, who's my co-creator, co-writer on the Underfoot, and uh, we started talking about. <laughs> 
tiny intelligent hamsters and how we should write <laughs> a book about tiny intelligent hamsters who were you know, perhaps like, like, special, like you do. yeah, yeah, like like you do, and who perhaps had special abilities and perhaps were part of like you know government experimentation and like maybe there were some conspiracies and maybe there were some bad guys and maybe this and that and the other, and so it kind of grew out of this thing where I love hamsters. I love rodents as pets. I have a hamster right now. I've had three previous ones, two chinchillas, two mice, and four gerbils over the years of my life. And um, <laughs> so I've had a lot of rodent pets. And hamsters are cute and sweet and easy to keep as pets, especially if you travel a lot. And they're interesting to me. They're just, they're very delicate and they're very like, you know, quick. And uh, they're just, they're, they're fascinating little creatures. So... At some point, uh, Ben and I decided to write this story and we worked on developing it. And the long and short of how we got to where we were is that we worked on building this story and the world around it, which is intended to be more than one graphic novel, but it's, it's instead a series of graphic novels, not just the one, um, for about six years before we pitched it. And around six years, we finally put it into kind of a pitch format with the first bit written and then the rest of it outlined, not just the first book, but, you know, trilogy and beyond, basically. Yeah. And we pitched it over to Lionforge, and Lionforge picked it up, and then it, you know, an, about, uh, who was it, maybe a, a year plus, a year and a half later, uh, it, was, it was ready to go, you know, it was ready to come out. So um, it came out this year in April, and Mike, you had been asking sort of specifically what my experience has been like, you know, since with the book coming out and everything. So yeah. that's the background on getting to that point. Um, and so that people know the first book, it's called The Underfoot, The Mighty Deep. And it's about a group of intelligent hamsters who have special abilities related to swimming and diving and other water things. They're the hamster aquatic mercenaries or ham. <laughs> and the concept of the first story is that they are about to go on this mission to help one of their allies, uh, who are badgers. But to do so, they unfortunately have an open position due to one of the other tiny hamsters being gone at the time of the opening of the story. And so all the little hamsters are competing to see who gets to be the next ham. And then eventually they end up going on the mission. Um, so you get to know the little hamsters that are competing. You get to know the kind of leaders and the teachers of the group. And there's this whole kind of infrastructure of hamsters living in the burrows and going out on these missions that you become aware of through reading the story. So that's part of what we really like to do is world building and kind of getting that, getting a really deep look by just telling the story. And a lot of people have actually praised that as, as part of what they really like about the book, which I super appreciate. Um, and I'll go back to that. But essentially, not only do these hamsters have their own little burrow, etc., but they're based in the D.C. area, like Washington, D.C. area, where we all are local to. Um, and they were developed in a, well, I don't want to spoil too much, but let me just say that one of the main places that they, that they, that they uh, are in the book uh, was like right next to my old workplace. So I used to walk there all the time. So like everything is based on stuff I know. Everything locational. I mean, and Ben and Ben like puts in tons and tons of stuff about, you know, the hamsters and the and the adventures and the dialogue and stuff. So it's it's a totally balanced um, contribution. But I'm the one who's local to DC, and all the so all the DC weirdness comes from my <laughs> local like whatever uh, that I you know. Oh, I think this place is interesting. So like the ham are based near a, a very well known monument thing and other. <laughs> 
other animals are based near other things. And I'll, I just, one of the reasons I mentioned that is we had this huge, massive, unprecedented flood recently. It was like the biggest flood in 148 years or something. And um, there was a picture of people standing on the roofs of their cars near Fletcher's Cove because it, it, so much of that area had flooded out that they were like stuck with most of their cars underwater. And in fact, one of the big plot points of the book is that the hamsters are trying to stop a flood that's going to happen at Fletcher's Cove. So <laughs> look at you predicting I, what was going to happen. Wow. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, everyone who got flooded out at Fletcher's Cove, but um, <laughs> you can so, now put so in front of your name on your title. You can say profit. Right. Uh, but I mean, but, yeah. I, but that, that is how much attention to detail we pay about like what's, you know, what's in the area. So, so going back to kind of the experiences that I've had, um, I'll talk about some of the specific experiences, but I will say a lot of the feedback and a lot of the appreciation has come for things like the come from or arisen out of um, things like yeah. the world building. So the depth of detail that you can tell, it's not all, you know, I hate word vomit exposition. I hate when people are like, so we have been here for a million years and let me tell you our history in 15 pages and then we'll have an adventure. I hate that. And Ben does too. So the two of us, you know, without even having to have a conversation about that part have very much incorporated any world building into the adventure, the story, etc. And then maybe later you find out more about, you know, you drop like what there's, I definitely know in our book, there are many places where, you see a bunch of stuff and you think it's part of the story and it is. And then on page 80, we drop like two panels and suddenly you're like, Oh, Oh, it's, Oh, it's that too. You know, that kind of thing. And I love doing stuff like that. And Ben does as well. So yeah. we, we have a lot of fun with that and people have been appreciating it. Another thing they've been appreciating is that our books incorporate real science and then speculative science that's based on that real science. Um, or they incorporate, weird historical things and just because they're fun you know but but what we've done is that after each chapter or before each chapter sorry there's a page that includes in as an in-story part of the part of the book science and history bits that are real like 100 percent real and then you read the story and you see where they fit into the story whether they're being used to develop something more speculative that could happen in the future or whether they are literally based on what was going on in the, in the historical stuff that you're reading. So like you learn about hamster breeds, you learn about bioluminescent mushrooms, and microbial fuel cells, you learn about underwater ballrooms. There's all kinds of weird stuff. Teachers and librarians have been loving that. That's awesome. Um, which makes me very happy. I mean, we just love it because we love it. But it makes me very happy, and Ben, I'm sure, as well, to to have that experience. Now, we also have an amazing artist, Michelle Wen, um, N-G-U-Y-E-N. And she has been amazing, like, putting expressions on the hamster faces and helping, like, she's great at differentiating between, we have a lot, we have a large cast, a lot of hamsters, and other other animals, like cats and badgers and snakes and stuff like that. So she's really great at developing the story through the through the images and everything. And that's also very appreciated so far. Everybody loves her art and raves about it. All the people who have read the book just adore the art. And, it, and it's really eye-catching. And she does the colors as well. And the colors are great. And 
Yeah, I can't say enough good things about the art. So basically, I know we're running out of time already here. Um, but can I get a couple more minutes? Is that cool, Mike? Yeah. Is that, I, okay. Honest, honestly, like the reason why I've just kind of sat back and let I, I can hear how passionate you are about this, that this is your baby. This is your project. I, yeah, I mean, and, it, it really is. And like I so yeah. now I've had the experience starting at C2E2 this year. I've had the experience of traveling to a number of conventions with the book and uh, C2E2 was pre-book. We had, we were we were like a couple or three weeks out from the actual launch of the book at that point. But we got to do some interviews pre-launch uh, of the book with um, a couple of different podcasts and also Sci-Fi Wire on their stage at C2E2, which was really freaking cool. I mean, they have all kinds of people up there, but like, you know, they, so other comics creators and stuff, but also like the cast of American Gods or whatever, or Good Omens, or, you know, like they have really freaking cool people, Zach Levi... You know, I sat in the same couch as Zach Levi, possibly, you know, whatever. But um, so it was really neat to be on stage and be interviewed by Sci-Fi Wire about our comic. And that was just amazing. And then at Awesome Con, the first con where after the book actually launched, we did a launch party. It was huge. Like 90 plus people came and like I made hamster ears for everybody that I now sell at conventions because they were very popular. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so we did a launch pod, uh, pro, or a party, but also we did a panel at AwesomeCon about collaborating because Ben and Michelle and I work very closely together, also with Tom Zoller, our letterer, who does the word balloons and the SFX. And, um, and then we have a, a maps artist, Eric Orchard, and then um, Adrian Ricker, Michelle's husband, does uh, some of the flatting of the comic, or the colors, rather. But yeah. um, Ben and, and Michelle and I are, are the main development team and, you know, we, we did this panel and my parents came to it and huh. my parents, bless them, don't always understand 100 percent why comics are, you know, something that I do. And th but after the panel, you know, both of them were like, wow, that was a really great panel. And I was like, yeah, thank you. I mean, you know, I'm really glad that you thought so. So it was really cool because, you know. Through this book, also my my family is seeing more of what I'm interested in and what I do because they you know they're all reading the book or they have it and hopefully are reading it and all that. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, we had a panel, we had signings, and then I've been to we did a free comic book day at uh, Mark Nathan's store in Reisterstown, Maryland. He runs Baltimore Comic Con, and yeah. that was great. And a lot of the local creators have tables there at free comic book day. And like everybody really loved the book and I had a banner for the first time that had my name on it all big with the hamster from the front cover. And it's, I mean, it was just, it's cool. It's just cool to be that person yeah. now. So, you know, <laughs> since then uh, I've been at Denver Comic Con with a table and the American Library Association, we did two different panels. One was middle grade comics and one was, um, I think it was again, like a science, science and comics and stuff like that. And um, we did two signings and a bunch of librarians and educators came over and I met so many people who were like, oh, this sounds great, you know, and I went to the Discworld convention. I said ahead of time, this wasn't, you know, one where I was going to be working, but I was like, hey, if you want, I'll bring you a copy of the book to, to sell, at the, you know, to buy at the con. And I brought you know, the pre-order ones, which was like six or whatever. And then I managed to bring like another 11 with me and I sold all of them. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, all right, I'm done, you know, by the end of the con. And then we went to San Diego and we had a great panel at the library. And again, it was like, a lot of it was for librarians and educators. And it was with uh, the guy who does the uh, Darth Vader and Son. And cause he had written a book about uh, Neanderthals, I think. Um, 
and uh, oh, there were just a bunch of really good creators who do like serious, like detailed books about like comic books or graphic novels about science and, and history and learning all that stuff. And I, it's really, it's just really cool to get the reactions. But um, yeah, to sum it up, I guess uh, I've really thoroughly enjoyed sharing through the panels what's in the book in the sense of like, not just, it is, I hope everybody finds it a very fun story with relatable characters that are well-developed and everything, but also like the weird junk that's in it, like junk in a good way, like the weird world building and the fact that hopefully if you figured out the measurements between the places and what, what the hamster measurements were in human measurements, you would realize that in fact they're all accurate. So that however far they traveled in the world is how far a hamster would have to travel in D.C. to get from one place to another. Like all wow. this weird stuff that we put in because we like it. And then we get to talk about it at panels and other people are excited about that because there's there there are people. They like these details just like we do. And so a lot of fun has been had talking at the panels about that kind of stuff and about world building and collaborating together and, and just sharing our process. And people are interested, which is delightful. And then, you know, we've had every con I've gone to where I've had a table or something set up. I mean, I've had really good sales. People, little kids come up to us and they're excited about it. They're so excited and it's so cute. And yeah. parents are into it because, you know, it's a middle grade comic. It doesn't have bad language. The violence is very minimal. I mean, there's some violence, but it's very, it's not graphic or anything like that. And, you know, there's interesting concepts in it for kids and like, Adults are into it, too. Like, I have had a number of, you know, adult friends, friends my age or older or younger, but still adults, um, be like, I just love this book. And, like, you know, I have friends with kids who have read it three, four times already. And just it's it's really gratifying because we love writing them. We love we're working on book two right now and we're having so much fun with it. And it's got some similar things, but definitely a lot of different stuff that's going to be new and exciting and it's just, it's gratifying to know people really enjoyed book one, because if they did, I think they're, you know, they're really going to love book two as well, because it continues to develop the story, but it also has that new stuff in it. Um, and doing signings is super fun, because I had to figure out how to sign my name in a way that's not the way I usually sign it, but is also yeah. kind of, well, you know, because you don't want to sign it like you're signing a check. Um, sure. but also like kind of fun. So I draw it needs a to look hamster. cool. Yeah. yeah exactly. So I draw, I draw little yeah. hamster ears and whiskers on the E. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, joked, we joked about it, that it need, you need to have a, um, how you sign legal documents signature. And then you also need to have a, this is how I sign my cool comic book signature. Yeah, thing. I mean, you like, absolutely yeah. do. You absolutely yeah. do because you know, you, I, I mean, I think that's good. And also like Michelle, she's an artist. So she draws a little hamster and Ben, he already has like a cool signature he had worked out. Cause he's worked on other comics before, like the great divide and other stuff that yeah. he's done. He's worked on Michelle and Ben knew each other from grumpy cat and pokey. They'd done, they'd done some of those together um, nice. with her as the artist. And, um, so everyone already had their kind of thing. And I mean, I'm sure mine will change for if I write something that's not the underfoot, yeah. but the underfoot, definitely my signature has a little hamster ears on it. That's, that's, <laughs> awesome. that's the extent of my artistic ability. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, so like, I'm happy to answer any questions or we can move on to more movies, but I will just so I don't forget, I will say to everyone, if you haven't seen the underfoot, the mighty deep yet, it is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble target websites. It's at, you know, some local comic shops and bookstores, you might have to call first to see if it's in stock. But um, 
you know, tons of places have been stocking it. It's at libraries. I know there are a number of libraries that have stocked it and hopefully more are continuing to. Um, and I am on social media. I'm at the Emily E-S-S-E. So you can always just at me and ask me questions if you want to. But yeah, go. is there anything I didn't cover that you want to know about? I there, There's so much that I want to ask you. But what I want to do is I think, I mean, we will, we will link up. Uh, and because honestly, like I would love to have a whole episode just devoted to this because as somebody who has written their own comic book and has done this, like I just, I love... I love hearing the passion. I love hearing people talk about the things that they love. That was, I've, I've been to comic cons as a, uh, exhibitor. Um, I've been as, as press, I've been as a guest, I've been as just somebody who paid a ticket to go there and yeah, exactly. be, being an exhibitor and talking about the thing that you love and, and seeing like, it sounds stupid, but pitching the thing, somebody's like, well, what's this all about? And you tell them about your thing and they get excited. That is the greatest thing ever. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Well, and I've had people be like, oh, what's your elevator pitch? And I'm like, it's about tiny, intelligent hamsters in a post-apocalyptic Washington, D.C. And they're like, sold. Done. <laughs> like, right? Take my money. Yeah, yeah exactly. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm Emily, like, we will we will definitely come back to this. I, I promise you that we will give you your whole ep a whole episode just for you to talk about this. Because, I, oh, I like mean, I said, well, I, I love it. That would be awesome, but I know we have to talk about more 80s movies. And I love we 80s do, movies, too. So <laughs> I, I'm good on both. But I, I know I, I'm always yeah. delighted to talk about the underfoot, anything you ever want to talk about i will come and bend your ear and anybody else who's listening to it until they are totally sick of it hopefully not <laughs> there you go that's that is that is a promise we can keep so mr rambo i want you to start us yes, off sir. here we jump back into this 80s extravaganza what's you you're, you're giving we just talked about elevator pitch somebody's like what's the best movie of the 80s right now go what are you telling me ah fuck um <laughs> well let's see uh certainly one that's that stands out in my mind is uh, Trading Places from 1983. Ah, yes. Nice. It is... It's so many people at the top of their game um, between uh, John, John Landis directing, uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd um, and Ralph Bellamy and like uh, Don Amici and just all these wonderful actors being hysterical. Um, and it is incredibly quotable um really smartly made and it, and it comes down to it's it's um for anybody who hasn't seen it it's two very very rich white men um make a, a very small wager uh to see if they could make a poor black man and a rich white man swap places and how much that would affect them one one claiming that uh breeding has nothing to do with anything and that you are who you are and that's that the other saying no if you take anyone and you put them in the right place with the right resources um they will absolutely rise to the occasion um and it's getting to see dan Aykroyd completely self-destruct um <laughs> and just and just totally fall apart there's a whole scene where he steals a giant like a full-size smoked salmon uh, while he's dressed in a dirty Santa Claus costume from this from this Christmas party, and he <laughs> later on he's on the bus and he pulls it from out out pulls the salmon from out out from under his jacket and starts eating it, but he takes a big enough bite that he catches the beard and he starts pulling pieces of the beard into his mouth and like has to pull that out and people are just <laughs> staring at him on the bus like what the fuck are you doing you psychopath. <laughs> and it is, and he just kind of like growls at people. And this is a guy who, in the beginning of the movie, is you know living in this 
like this this huge New York brownstone. Um, uh, it, what was it? Uh, uh, Louis Winthorpe the third. Um, and just to see him completely fall apart, and then conversely, Eddie Murphy uh, uh, totally just like rise up the ranks and and uh, really clean himself up and and completely rise to the occasion is is awesome. Um, really funny, really smart movie. Uh, heads up, there is one bit that I had completely forgotten about until I a uh, year year or two pr- uh, pr- uh, previous went back and rewatched it for, for some research. There is a blackface scene in this movie. Oh no! Um, I yeah. don't remember that. Wow. And it is it's it's not played. It's clearly like everybody's aware of what's going on, and it's not like this is okay um, because they could have gotten any other character to play the character. It's Dan Aykroyd. Um, they could have gotten. There's no reason in the world that Eddie Murphy isn't the one playing the. It, it's 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 Dan Aykroyd as a Jamaican guy. Um, and there's literally no reason beyond this is so fucking absurd. We have to do it, um, to do it. Uh, so it doesn't really make it better, but they are self-aware. Um, but yeah, it, it, like I had completely forgotten about it. So I was looking for reference for this one drawing I did, um, that, that popped up and I was like, Oh no, that's, Oh man, <laughs> that's something else. <laughs> like ten-year-old me didn't rem- didn't realize what that meant. <laughs> oh wow! It's really funny though how that happens because there was definitely um, it, it wasn't eighties by far. It was like it probably was like forties or fifties. But there was an old Tex Avery cartoon where. And if you remember anything about Tex Avery, he like did uh, Droopy Dog. He did like um, mm-hmm. like he was over the top like zany and crazy, like that kind of, uh, of cartoon. And what it was is the premise of the cartoon was there was this magic conducting stick. And no matter what you did, it would make the person sing perfectly. And at some point, one of the patrons at the opera got mad and squirted, squirted his ink in the face of the singer. And when he did that, the singer started singing like an African-American singer. Oh, and you were just no. like, oh, no. no. And I remember watching this as a kid, not thinking anything of it and then seeing it. And like before I saw it, like Warner Brothers, who owns the rights to all these, had like this disclaimer that said, hey, this cartoon was made in a time when these sorts of things were appropriate. They're not appropriate. Ah. And maybe you shouldn't watch this if you're going to be offended by it. And I was like, I'm glad they I'm you know, I kind of this is a totally different kind of part of the topic, but I'm glad they put the disclaimer. And what do people think about? Taking out that stuff versus disclaimering it, like uh, like what is it, Song of the South or whatever, oh, where you yeah. can't find it anywhere. Like, what what's your take on that? Or maybe that's part of the other conversations we should have. But I, I I'm glad they disclaimered it, but it's still available to see what people did in in history because I do think that's important to know. You know, I think that to to cut it out is to deny um, ever having done it. And yeah, I think it's uh, cowardly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I certainly understand why somebody would avoid watching uh, or experiencing any kind of media that that does feature something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really appreciate about that particular disclaimer, because um, it's on all of the Warner Brothers like Looney Tunes uh, collections. Um, oh, okay. Is yeah. the, like the like at the beginning of the the DVD. I think the Blu-ray now um, is it just it's it says like. 
Now, what Mike said, you know, hey, this was made at a time when this was far, we were far less sensitive to these things. But and, and it's something that toward the end, they say something along the lines of, but to to remove it is to act as though it never happened. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and it, it requires a degree of honesty and forthrightness that a lot I'm, that I'm genuinely surprised that any um, corporation has, you know, certainly in this day and age, uh, but really at all. Um, yeah, it, it's it's the unwillingness for people to just accept responsibility for what they've done um, mm-hmm. is <laughs> wide and rampant. Uh, so seeing something like that, it it, it really um, it, I have a lot more respect for somebody who will cop their mistake as opposed to being like, oh, no, 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 this was terrible. So we'll, so we'll get rid of it. Um, I agree with everything you said, and you just said it so more, much more eloquently than I think I would have. So, <laughs> Thank you. that's awesome. Well done, old man. Well done. <laughs> um, I, 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 there's, there's, a, there's another '80s movie that when I was writing this list, I always asked my wife. I was like, "Are there any that I have to include in here?" And the reason I brought that Tex Avery cartoon up was because of her choice. She said, "Revenge of the Nerds." Oh yeah. And Revenge of the yeah. Nerds was a great 80s movie but it has dated itself very very poorly oh, yeah. because of some pretty nasty scenes that imply some pretty nasty shit like the fact that like oh hey we're gonna spy on girls and take naked pictures of them oh yeah, hey yeah creepy as all hell yeah. oh, and, and there's a rape scene yes. so like it's it, it's again to to deny that it ever existed is is insulting so I, I don't know how you uh, I think honestly I know a lot of people are like oh you shouldn't remake all these movies you know what needs a remake Revenge of the Nerds because uh, <laughs> it needs to be fair it can yeah. still be funny it really could be if you cleaned up some of that mess and mm-hmm. I think the difficulty with remaking something like that is you that the the take has to be completely different it because. Does, yeah. Right now, nerd culture is yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you would really have to have. I don't know. You, I, I feel like the, the best way to approach something like that would be to have the individual like you have people from like super specific nerd groups um, that are super gross and toxic, and have them reclaim the the specific like geekdom in it of whatever you know group they're from. Um, yeah. Because otherwise, it ends up being just like, all right, well, no, we're we're still okay, and and it, it's it's good to like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is super popular. Like, there's a lot of really hot actors and actor <laughs> actors in Hollywood that play D and D all the time. Oh, um, well, well, video games. I I really like to play video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super popular. There's a bunch of movies based on video games. Oh, um, well, uh, comic book. Yeah, yeah, like like the highest grossing films of all time are you all based on comic could, books. You know what you could do. You flip it. Instead of the nerds being the outcasts, the nerds are the hierarchy. And a guy gets a guy gets admitted to a college because he was a star athlete and he, he scored really, really high on his SATs. And he decided, you know, I don't really want to play sports anymore. I want to focus on my academics because I, I want a future. And he goes to the school and he's an outcast because he's not a nerd. Mm. Yeah, that could be really interesting. Yeah. yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. guys. Um, the podcast is over. I quit. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go write the script and make a million dollars. But you know, I mean, and, and in talking about um, things that just don't age well, yeah. uh, there, there's a whole scene in in a Monster Squad where yeah. they, in order to get the help of the older sister of one of the group guys in the group, um, 
they blackmail her with nude photos. Um, which it had like it, I the last time I watched it is when it finally clicked, and I was like, no, that's not. Oh no. Oh, that's real bad. Yeah, that's not okay, guys. No, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> not, not okay that we're okay. doing that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's really not okay. Oh like, man. Oh fuck. And but it was one of those things where I was like, well, yeah, it's not without its flaws. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's. I, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle on this one too, where like I don't think that we should just completely discount all of it. And say, like, oh, it was the 80s. We didn't know any better. But at the same time, I don't think it needs to be one of those things. Everybody's too sensitive. Like, no, there, there's there's a there's an answer in there somewhere. And we need to address that it was wrong. We need to address that there's a, a better way of thinking. But then at the same time, admit, like, yeah, this is this was acceptable at this time. It's it's now passe. And like a perfect allegory to this to tie into a different um, medium would be sports with the Washington football team that I really won't even mention ah. the nickname of because sure. that's the exact same situation. That was okay to say in the thirties when they moved from Boston, but now it's not. And mm-hmm. that needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be accepted that it's now not okay. Just like if you're sitting around your grandfather or great grandfather and he says something inappropriate, like I won't even say it, but there's a, a, for people who are of Asian descent who might be from China, you might hear your grandfather or great grandfather refer to them as something specific. And uh, it's, it's funny because it's a flavor of ramen packet that you can get too. Um, and it always makes me cringe sure. whenever I hear somebody say it. I'm just like, oh, God, that's so inappropriate. Why are we saying that? Like, Yeah, if you're not talking about soup or yeah. a rug, don't yeah. use that word. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's it, it's I, I really, you know, honestly, guys, I want to say this real quick. OK, we could have done this as a list show where we're just like, what did you think about this movie? Oh, it's great. I love it. I actually like this, too. Because it's commentary about these things that we love and acknowledging that, like, sometimes you watch these things that you forgot about and you're like, man, these are really, really cringy. Like, there's some really rough scenes in here that I did not remember. And I Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I went back even watching, like, Running Scared or Clue or whatever. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some stuff in there that I would look at now and be like, "Mm." it's been a little while since I have actually seen one of them. But although now I want to rewatch them, of course. There's, but yeah, I'm I'm waiting for that when I go back and I'm like, oh man, I totally forgot about that scene. Uh oh, you know. One of one of my favorite one of my favorite movies of the '80s is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh. <laughs> and there's a, there's several scenes in Fast Times at Ridgemont High that are so inappropriate, and one of them <laughs> is when Sean Penn's character Jeff Spicoli is having a dream that he's winning the surf competition. And the guy's interviewing him and asking him questions. He's like, what do you think about the competition between Gentleman Jack Johnson and Jungle Jim so-and-so? And he's like, those guys are... And he says a really inappropriate word. Oh, no. Like, hearing that when you're a kid is funny because you're like, wow, that's a word I'm not supposed to say. And now you're like, man, that's a really derogatory word that he just said. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's... It, there's so many other things that he could have said, too. But, like, oh, it's... Man. Yeah, and and you wanna you almost like and I understand the instinct of wanting to apologize for the thing that you like. You're like, oh, but he but he didn't mean it like that. He meant it like, uh, you know what, (laughs) you know what, it's horrible, Uh, and I'm not gonna defend it anymore. Um, Yeah, I think better than apologizing for it is to have those disclaimers, like you know James was talking about, or like that that they have. I mean, that I do think it's important to acknowledge that these things were accepted at one time and that they happened and that people had those perspectives and then to acknowledge that they are not okay anymore you know like yeah i think that's more important than trying to apologize for it or take it out you know like yeah agreed yeah i i want to go to a movie 
I, I want to bring up my next one because this one is near and dear to my heart and it, it has not done what some of these other 80s movies have done and aged poorly it's aged well in fact i let my 10 year old watch it the other day and he is now in love with this movie and we've probably streamed it on hulu at least a dozen times now now i'm curious <laughs> it's it's peewee's big adventure oh okay <laughs> i love peewee's big adventure so much i can't even begin to tell you it is a really fun movie it is the only way that it didn't age well was because of paul rubin's escapades mm -hmm. but you would have to know about those in the first place but a 10 year old boy doesn't know about those because he doesn't look these things up on the internet so right. it's okay but like i the movie is so absurd it's so ridiculous it's so dumb it's so so dumb but it's so wonderful like to like anytime we have breakfast my, my son's always just like he's like can we make pancakes with with a bacon mouth and and two fried eggs for eyes and call him mr breakfast and i'm like no jacks we can't do that and he's like i want to get one of those big spoons so we can eat cereal like that and i was like no that's preposterous we're not doing that. food that's don't eat my cereal. i love it it's a poor food but don't eat my cereal I love that movie so much. And I still, I laugh the same now as I did when I was like five, when I first watched that movie. Like it is, it is absolutely wonderful. Like when he's on the payphone calling Dottie to let him know that he's in Texas, um, that he needs to come home. And he's like, I'm in Texas, Dottie. And she goes, I don't believe you. And he goes, here, listen, the stars at night are big and bright. Everybody just goes deep in the heart, the heart of Texas. <laughs> And then, like, he's he dresses up like the cowboy and he rides the bull and he breaks the record. He falls off the bull and he gets knocked unconscious. And all the cowboys are like, hey, son, are you OK? Do you remember anything? He's like, I remember. I remember the Alamo. And they all take off their hats and they're like, <laughs> where's the basement? What? <laughs> There's no basement in the Alamo. <laughs> That like there's there's so many little things in that movie too. Like if you're watching the the Pee Wee movie within the movie at the end where James Brolin is starring as P. W. Herman oh, yeah. and <laughs> Pee Wee plays a bellman. If you're watching that scene where he him and um what's her name? Uh Morgan Fairchild are acting out that scene. He's in the background staring directly at the camera and you can tell that somebody's trying to wave him off camera because he keeps like staring at the camera and they're like, get off. This. And he like moves a little bit to the left and he keeps looking back at the camera like it's it's seeing, so, Yeah, seeing good actors play bad actors yes. is a real treat. Oh, it's like so it's, great. Uh, it's such a wonderful movie. That is that is. Oh, God, that is one of my favorites. Uh, Emily, give us one of your favorites here. We'll go. We'll go ahead and we'll just kind of go roundtable and, and let right, everybody talk. Let me, about one of let me think now, because I was I was uh, I was caught up in that. So. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to give you guys a choice. Which one do you want me to, to fan over? Princess Bride, Spaceballs, Breakfast Club, Christmas Story, uh, Dirty Dancing, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Pick one. Oof. so good. They're all good. God damn. That's all right, all right. I'll pick one. All right, I'll pick Do one. It. Since I know yeah. a Christmas story. Good all right, so a Christmas story is classic, classic holiday insanity. Plus, in my home, it had a special meaning because even though it was filmed in Ohio, and I've been to the Christmas story house, and it was awesome, and I got to take pictures with all the things, and it was awesome, um, it's supposed to take place in Indiana, where my whole family is from. And my dad 
adores this movie because he's like, oh, look, it's my childhood. So he loved all the stuff that was in this movie, like all the all the set pieces, all the different stuff and all the adventures. And so we watched it regularly every Christmas. And so, it, you know, it was a, the institutional family thing as, as along with It's a Wonderful Life and stuff like that. But also, like, my sister had the pink bunny outfit <laughs> not, oh not because of the movie like literally this year my dad sent a picture of her in it like when she was a kid because <laughs> i don't remember why we were talking about it yeah we were talking about christmas story <laughs> and and oh because i went to the christmas story house right and so then my dad dug up this picture and was like look here's amanda in this bunny in the bunny the bunny pajamas <laughs> and it wasn't because of the movie it was just because that was the thing you know like she <laughs> but um it's a brilliant ridiculous fun film i love the way it's narrated by the kid i love the way that the little brother is you know like poor little brother he's just i mean like the freaking snowsuit scene (laughs) kills me and just everything about it even though i didn't grow up in that era is is relatable you know it's a very relatable movie and it's relatable from a kid's perspective too you get the like with the BB gun and how he really, really wants it, and the parents are trying to be all practical. So you and you get to see both sides because you see what's really happening. So you can see if you're an adult, like, oh, okay, the, the mom's trying to not have him use bad language and this and that. But then you get you know his perspective on the whole thing. It's just I love that movie. I think it's really clever. I love the way they you know like the breaking of the fourth wall narration, which I love as a device, obviously with Deadpool and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just a classic. So well, yeah, a also Christmas too, story. Emily, I know you're a big Disney fan like me. Yes. Um, the fact that Gene Shepard is the narrator and he's also the narrator of Carousel of Progress uh, was like, I love yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was absolutely. that was awesome for me because I was like the first time I got in, uh, sat on Carousel of Progress, I was like, oh, it's Ralphie from the Christmas Story. <laughs> the Christmas Story <laughs> in my ears. Yeah. yeah, no, it's great. And the and the actor with his big blue eyes, I mean, he's just an adorable child. Like yeah, Peter he looks gone angelic. On to, like, yeah, but he's, he's gone on to have like a crazy career in in like he's yeah. he's a director. Like he's mm-hmm. good friends with John Favreau. Like he was involved in Iron Man. Like he does a lot of stuff now still. Yeah, I mean, now if we're talking about problematic scenes. Uh, when they go out for their Thanksgiving dinner and they're being sung the carol, Deck the Halls, Bells of Hari. (laughs) That's that scene I knew was inappropriate when I first watched this movie years and years ago. I knew that was an inappropriate scene. Um, But it's oh it's such a good movie but yeah that's that scene if we're going to call out the scenes that we recall that one I do actually recall as being fairly offensive i i do like i made a joke i i wrote an article about my favorite christmas movies on ggr at one point and i I referenced that one and i said that i felt that ralphie when he snaps on scott farkas and just whoops his (laughs) ass like Uh that 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 was like ralphie's actually what we're seeing is the prequel to the born identity because ralphie (laughs) becomes jason born because he's a sleeper agent like he just doesn't know it like trigger words just set him off right but yeah. like that's like every single kid I think has ha- had a moment like that. I don't I mean I, where you just like you were just so enraged and then after it is over you're just like you're emotionally drained and all you know what to do is cry and like yeah that's oh, yeah, it speaks to generations. Yeah, it's when it comes on uh when it's Christmas Eve like we same thing. We it's just always on. Like we we watch yep. it. It's it's you it's watch a, it at least once a year. I mean that's just yeah. tradition. <laughs> Ram, Rambo give us an 80s movie, brother. 
Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh my nice. god. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Ruprecht. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from 1988 <laughs> is a movie. It was one of the few VHSs we had in our place. Uh, and I wore that fucking thing out. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm just picturing Steve Martin sitting at the table right now with the fork. Like, what? <laughs> why, why is the cork on the fork? <laughs> to prevent him from hurting himself. Whap. <laughs> that, that, that and the Oklahoma thing where he's like, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, my God. It is oh God. another movie, just everybody at the top of their game. Yeah. Um, Michael, like, who knew Michael Caine was that funny? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, fuck. It's just so good. Um, I wish I could be more specific for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, Michael Caine is uh, a very highfalutin con man. Uh, Steve Martin is a very lowbrow, uh, you know, very cheap low, uh, low rent con man. Um, and they end up teaming up over the course of the movie uh, with Martin being taken under the wing of. Uh, of Kane, uh, and trying to, uh, trying to like sort of class things up a little bit. Um, they are rivals throughout the film and, uh, for the, the money and ultimately affections of, uh, Glenn Headley. Um, and she's also absolutely wonderful in the movie. Um, and there's a delightful twist, uh, where, where assumptions are made and then, re- uh, revelations are had. Um, that particular, like like the the fucking Ruprecht scene, um, yeah. The so again uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the the character that Martin ends up playing um, for Michael Caine's various uh, cons because uh, it's it's Michael Caine conning all of these very very rich women out of a, an absurd amount of money um, over and over again over, over and over again um, is <laughs> Martin plays Ruprecht who is clearly supposed to be uh, uh, like learning disabled uh, 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 developmentally disabled uh, little brother of or, or potentially older brother of Michael Caine um, and this fucking dinner scene where he is sitting um, at uh, at the dinner table with Michael Caine and this uh, this very rich woman um, wearing an eye patch holding a trident Um <laughs> <laughs> and eating applesauce with a fork that has a cork on the end of it, uh, and he, which he is then starting trying to pull away. Who would? And he's correctly like, Ruprecht, keep you know, keep the cork on the fork. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I watched that scene a dozen times and laughed every single time. Yeah, because the timing is so perfect. The editing is on point. Um, everybody's reactions. It's it's Michael Caine and this woman, and she is clearly horrified by everything that's going on. Um, <laughs> and when, when you know she's like, "Well, wh- why is the cork on the fork? Oh, to prevent him from hurting himself." Smash cut to Steve Martin immediately poking himself in the eye with the corked fork uh, <laughs> in the fucking uh, uh, the 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 eye wearing the eye patch. It is. <laughs> perfect comedic timing I, um, another also, one I just wanted to tip in real quick I'm sorry sure, but sure. like the part when he's playing the um, the paraplegic military officer and uh, Michael Caine is beating him with the cane <laughs> on his legs 
And you can, this is why Steve Martin is such a wonderful actor because you can see the pain in his eyes, but he's just like, you can't feel this at all. You swear. And he's like, no, I can't. Like, it's just. Oh, man. The uh, Michael Caine's butler is played by Ian McDiarmid, Emperor Palpatine. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so, like he, he all every there's there's just this wonderful like aristocratic air of like uh, uh, high society and everything. And Steve Martin's character just brings everything down like an anchor. Um, he is the perfect uh, 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 ground uh, uh, grounding for this for the uh, for that movie. And he's ju- he's just a guy who just wants to take advantage of people left and right. Um, he doesn't really have too many methods beyond like really ham handed things. And Michael Caine is someone who has perfected this for years and years and years, um, living on the French Riviera. Um, and seeing both of them get their comeuppance is wonderful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, um, one of, oh fuck, what's his name? Um, voice of voice and puppeteer for Yoda. Uh, uh, Frank Oz. Frank Oz. One of Frank yes. Oz's movies. Uh, Frank Oz, uh, directed it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I will also mention uh, every movie I have mentioned so far. I did art for. I did a, a, a drawing of. Um, as these are all from my list of favorite '80s movies uh, that I happen to have made already. Um, and so yeah, I, you can you too can own a print of Rupert the Monkey Boy um, holding his trident at the dinner table. <laughs> yes, it's one of my favorite pieces that you've done, man. And and where can they find this? Uh, you can find this on my on my Etsy. It's uh, Etsy.com/shop. Slash Art of James Rambo. Look at this um, guy doing yeah. things for himself. I love it. Yeah. Trying to make oh, that money. Man. You gotta make that money. Um, gotta make that green. We do. Um, there's so many movies we missed. God, so it's... But I'm just gonna start rattling them off. Um, All right, and we then I'll, talk I'll about see if of, there's any you miss. All right, Please, here we go. please do. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back. Yep. Back to, back to the Future. Yep. Uh, the Terminator. The Shining. Aliens, Return of the Jedi, Die Hard. We talked about the Princess Bride, uh, Ghostbusters, Predator. Uh, we Legends. talked about Ferris. Let there you go. Yeah, Fer, uh, we talked about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. James Rambo, your namesake uh, wasn't my war. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Um, I want to. I'm going to pause this real quick because this is the one that I'm. I'm going to take one out of this list that I rattle off that I want to talk about how much I love. It's the fucking Naked Gun. God damn it! I love that movie. That movie is so fucking funny. Like I have, ne- I, I remember watching this as a kid and laughing so hard I couldn't breathe. When he forgets to take the lavalier mic off when he goes to the bathroom and he's peeing, and like everybody in the conference is listening to him pee, and then he stops peeing and then he farts and he starts peeing again. Like still, like it, I just uh, comedy gold. The whole movie from start to finish. Like when he dresses up as the uh, the the opera singer to sing the national anthem and he's horrible and then he pretends to be the umpire and he takes off the umpire mask and somebody from behind the plate goes hey it's Enrico Palazzo like just the whole movie is just absolutely wonderful it is comedy genius I absolutely love that movie so much and like when you brought up Leslie Nielsen earlier when we were talking about uh, Creepshow just like that I was like we have to talk about Naked Gun at some point um but that's that's the one that I, I absolutely had to stop on. Emily, there's one on my list, and we're going to use this as a pivot point because I know you were looking it up because I saw your tweet, and I tweeted you about it. Um, <laughs> we already talked about Tim Burton. from. Yeah. We talked about Tim Burton's okay. wonderful 80s because he did Batman. Uh, uh-huh. He did um, 
Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And then he also did this other one that maybe some of you have heard of. Emily, what movie would that be, potentially? Well, I can only say the name a certain number of times, you understand. Yeah. So, <laughs> Beetlejuice? God, Beetlejuice? I love that. Oh, man. Uh, we can't say it again. But, um, oh, yeah, no, I, I was I was making my little list to, to try and remember. You know, I didn't want to forget ones that I really wanted to mention until you get off the show and you go, oh, man, I wanted to mention that. And so I was making a little list in my notepad, and it wouldn't, like... It didn't have Spaceballs or Beetlejuice in the in the you know text dictionary for my phone, and I was like, "Come on, that's ridiculous." But um, yeah, Beetlejuice is a great and grotesque film. Interestingly, I'm not always a big fan of the more grotesque, you know, like gross for gross's sake kind of or weird looking for weird sake kind of uh, kind of things. But yeah. even the part where like they turn their faces like long and weird and stuff like that, it's. It's not my favorite thing to look at, but somehow I still appreciate it in the context of that movie, you know? And obviously, like, Beetlejuice is all gross and grimy and nasty. And can I tell you my favorite Beetlejuice story, which is about the mo- isn't about the movie, but is great? Go ahead, yeah. Um, so I interviewed Dee Bradley Baker this one time, who is an amazing voice actor who does uh, the voice of, like, all the clones in Clone Wars, Klaus the Fish, uh, and Family Guy, and also, like, tons and tons of animal noises and creature noises. And... He says, this is not my story, this is Dee's story that's in an interview that you can watch on YouTube uh, at my channel, but um, he was basically like, he did a stint at an amusement park as Beetlejuice, and he loved it (laughs) because if you were dressed up as Beetlejuice, people would just let you do whatever. So he would, like, get real close and be creepy at women, or he would put, like, dead fish in his pockets to smell, and, like, he, they, like, I mean, like, I mean, he wouldn't be creepy in an inappropriate, like, he would just kind of, kind of make the, make the comments, like, hey, you know, whatever. And, and um, not I don't want to give you a bad impression of D. Yeah, D, is, yeah. D is wonderful, yeah. and he's not, he's not creepy like that, but, um, you know, he would... He could say things that were out, uh, outlandish and people would just be like, oh, I love it. I love it. Or he would like get close to people and he'd have dead fish in his pockets and he'd smell disgusting and look disgusting. And people would be like, yeah, and it's like, <laughs> I just love the concept of and, and he did, too. But I just love the concept of like, if you met this guy on the street, you would run in the other direction. But because it's like a movie character and you're at a theme park, you're like, I'm standing next to disgusting, smelly Beetlejuice and he's saying weird stuff to me. I love this, you know? Yeah. Beetlejuice and Batman and um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure were just like, it was Burton at his early just genius. It was like he he hadn't jumped the shark yet because – Edward Scissorhands hadn't come yet, but then that was honestly, in my opinion, that that's the peak of his genius. I think that's the most beautiful movie he's ever made. Well, I also, I'm a huge fan of Big Fish as well, but that's beside the point. Um, after that, he's gotten he's got a little too weird. Like when he started, like his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that he did was just not oh, good. Yeah, um, it, visually yeah. it had a lot of interesting stuff going on, but I I agree with you on yeah. that. I was, was very, I was fairly disappointed in that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rambo, give us some of your movies, buddy, and then we'll close this up. All right. So I'm going to get a little controversial here. Do um, it. I am a white man. Uh, for anyone who doesn't Mark? know, uh, I mentioned this because, in my experience, a movie that a lot of folks uh, on my side of the melanin spectrum have not seen uh, <laughs> is Harlem Nights from 1989. Oh. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, Harlemites. Harlemites tends to be more of a 
black folks movie. Um, if you have not watched this movie, you deserve to watch this movie. Uh, as a like narrative film, it's okay. It's you know it's only so so. As a movie from the from the eighties that you should watch that is very entertaining, it is wonderful. Um, it is a like thirties period piece written and directed by Eddie Murphy at the like the height of his popularity in the, in the late eighties. Um, and it is a hundred percent just him being like, I'm going to get every comedy hero that I have. They're all going to work with me in this movie. We're going to share scene after scene after scene, and I'm going to be the hero. Um, it is Eddie Murphy, who is mentored in the film by Richard Pryor. Uh, Red Fox is in this movie. Della Reese is in this movie. Uh, Arsenio Hall. Um, wow. Fucking Tommy from Martin has a little bit part in it. Um, Arsenio Hall is fucking hysterical. Yeah. Uh, all he does the entire time he's on film is cry about his dead brother while, while going out of his way to try and kill Eddie Murphy. Um, he is literally, he is literally credited as crying man in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I love that. And it is hilarious. Everyone is, oh, Jasmine Guy is, is in it and wonderful. Uh, everyone's wearing these beautiful, uh, uh, suits and dresses and looks phenomenal. Um, and it is so goofy and funny and incredibly quotable. Um, it is very much an example of the individual parts are much stronger than the the whole. Um, but if if you have not seen it, you definitely deserve to watch it. Yeah, it's a, it's it is an absolutely great film. It really I is. I have not seen it, but I definitely yeah. put it on my list because yeah, yeah. Like I, I, said, I, I, yes. I there's a there's big gaps in my movie watching whatever because it's basically what was on tv at the time yeah, sure. you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but i'm making a list so yeah yeah come like like this and another movie we haven't talked about coming to america and oh, oh i love yes yes fucking, we, oh i have the rest of my list <laughs> when is channel 20 you used to run that every weekend yeah, yeah. um oh. like like clockwork um I definitely and, watched and, the censored version of Coming to America on on WDCA multiple times. Yes, yeah. yeah. indeed. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I need to call out some others before we go if we have time. Do it. Do yeah. it. We've okay. Couple, All right. So I'm minutes, trying yeah. to do the ones you didn't list. Let me see. Um, National Lampoon's Vacation and Christmas Vacation, Bill and Ted's yes. Excellent Adventure, Good yeah. Morning Vietnam, an extremely underrated, amazing 80s movie, Gremlins, yeah. Big Blade Runner for frack's sake. I mean, come yeah. on. Uh, let's see. Airplane? Did we do Airplane? No, we this didn't. is no, Spinal Tap, Heathers, yeah. <laughs> Top Gun, Platoon, Weird Science, Beverly Hills Cop. I love that movie. Planes, yeah. Trains, and Automobiles, Three Amigos, Goonies. I think we did mention Stand By Me. And then I have to tell you, I have never, ever seen... So those are all a bunch of my other favorites. But I have never, ever seen, and I put this on the list to tell you I have never seen it, Poltergeist. Why? Oh, Why haven't I seen Poltergeist, guys? Okay, first of all, creepy movies, yes. But it's scary when I shit, was, that's why. I, yeah, well, when I was a kid, and I want to say about second grade, I forget exactly when it came out, but, you know, I whenever it came out, I was in second grade when I first heard of it. Um, I was told that I le looked exactly like the little girl in the movie, oh, and then I was told that she died. And somehow, I don't remember what the actual story is, but I think there was like, it's some, somehow they made it sound like she died because of the movie. And, and then someone was like, yeah, if you watch the movie, you'll die too, or something like that. Kids on the bus are cruel, uh, you guys. They're yes. cruel. The and so I never watched yeah. this movie 
because I was afraid that I might watch it and be like, see, see myself dying on, you know, like seeing myself being scared and then I die. So I've never watched Poltergeist, guys. But, <laughs> but all those other ones, I think, are really, really fun. I, I definitely remember watching this movie on cable when I was a kid and I was too young to be watching this. Okay. I was <laughs> probably supposed to be in bed already and it was on and there's the scene where the clown is underneath the bed. Rambo, you've seen uh, it, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a clown doll and it comes to life and it's underneath the bed and it tries hard to pass, kill the kids. And pass. I definitely remember cause we had, it, this is how old this, how old I am, but the TV I was watching it on was a piece of furniture. It wasn't a fixture that was hung on the wall. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, it was an sure. actual piece of furniture. I remember jumping up, running over to the TV, hitting the giant, like four and a half foot knob that turned the television off, ran upstairs. And this is right here. This was peak Lunsford speed. I will never be faster than this point ever in my life. <laughs> And I ran all the way into my bed and put the covers on my head and hid. And like my mom was like, why are you running upstairs? And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Fucking monsters, goddammit. That's why. Exactly. <laughs> well, now I'm really glad I mentioned it because we both have ridiculous poltergeist stories. But yeah, yeah. that one, I, I put it on the list at the end of all the favorite movies as the one where I was like, nope, I will never see it. Because I still remember what I looked like as a kid and I don't want to freak myself out. <laughs> That's a good call. I, I'm, I'm totally with that. Um <laughs> I, we didn't mention it. We got to mention the Karate Kid. God, I oh, love that. Oh yeah, the a, a, a movie that inspired an entire generation of children to learn martial arts. Um, <laughs> Bruce Lee would have been proud. It was like, and it's so ridiculous because literally in the beginning of that final fight in the in the in the uh, the Valley Tournament, the Valley Martial Art Tournament, the hill, that referee, yeah, hill the, the friggin' the referee says, "Hey, no contact to the head." And how does Daniel San <laughs> win that damn fight? He kicks Johnny in the friggin' face, right in the and face. He, but he wins. Directly but it's face. okay, right in the face. Who cares? Whatever. All Valley, the All Valley, Valley Karate Tournament. That's what it is. Hill Valley is fucking uh, Back to the Back Future. Back to the Future. Yeah. God, there's so many movies we missed. Like uh, Big. Oh, just what a what a work of art that movie is as well. Dude, I absolutely love monsters, that. Yeah, little Angles. monsters. Yeah. Fucking Field of Dreams, Major League. If you're a baseball fan, like Uncle Buck. Um, oh, Brothers. Uncle Buck, man! Yeah, that's yeah. a great movie. Buck Melanoma, <laughs> Major Russell's Wart. Yeah, just, just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this is too much fun, guys. You guys are awesome. You are the best uh, family I had. We could have just talked about movies, but we ended up getting into the deep stuff, and I love doing that. I love when we talk about like the things behind the movies, the things that are going on in our culture, and it's just absolutely wonderful. So let me give a big thanks to both of my panelists, the, the GGR contributor, Mr. James Rambo. We love this guy because he talks about stuff. He talks about things and all of those things that we love. Uh, remember when he told us all about Dr. Doom and how much fun that was? Yeah, he's a smart dude. You should check him out at Victory Comics, which is in Falls Church, Virginia. They've got a Facebook page. You can find him on Google. You can look him up. They're easy to find. The other person that was one of our panelists is incredibly talented. She writes, she, I, I've never seen somebody so busy in my entire life accomplish so much. Most <laughs> people, like, when they're busy, they're like, I got 25 projects and none of them are done. She's like, yeah, I got 25 projects and like 24 of them are done and I'm actually finishing the 25th. <laughs> Click right now. What do you think about that? 
that's he Emily. He oversells me, y'all. He oversells <laughs> me, but I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> definitely, definitely check her stuff out. It is uh, The Underfoot, The Mighty Deep. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it, hopefully, at comic book shops where you like to buy things. Uh, but, guys, you were awesome. Thank you so much for being part of this wonderful podcasting journey that we have been on this evening. Guys, for all of us here at the Great Geek Refuge, thank you so much for listening to another episode of GGR Pirate Radio. My name is Mike Lunsford, and don't be a juice bag. Back down the alley with some roly-poly little bat-faced girl All along, along, there were incidents and accidents There were hints and allegations If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long-lost pal I can call you daddy, and daddy when you call me Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for more podcasts and our awesome articles. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! Pirate Radio Network production juice bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs>